Did you ever think being a woman who wanted it all would be so hard? I'm Nicole Colantoni, your host of Single at 30, and I didn't either. That's why each season, my guests and I will be unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of modern womanhood with the intention of exploring and publicly airing the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. So, are you in? And I remember being at my 30th birthday and I was single at 30. <laughs> remember being there being like, oh my God, have I done this wrong? Like, even with all of this, you know, success and things that I'd achieved and all this incredible stuff, so I didn't even look at that. I'm like, oh my God, I've done this, this wrong because I haven't checked this box, this box and this box because that's what I'm meant to do. Our guest today is one of Australia's best-known creative personalities who first came onto the scene with her self-titled jewellery brand at just 21 years of age. With the last $500 in her bank account, she grew her business into a global multi-million dollar empire with an international cult following, including A-list celebrity clientele. She has been referred to as Australia's biggest export since Vegemite, as well as named a tycoon of her time by the Sydney Morning Herald, and even seen her jewellery grace the silver screen in the Sex and the City 2 movie. Despite her whirlwind of success, she has the most down-to-earth and relatable voice, which she channels through her foundation an online forum designed to support women in business by revealing the realities of entrepreneurship. Earlier this year, she also launched her business memoir of Gold and Dust, which follows her journey from being named a breakout star by the New York Times to barely being able to breathe on a hotel room floor. Her inspiring story is changing the narrative surrounding what it means to be a modern entrepreneur as well as a modern woman, and I'm so honoured to have her on this episode, How to Be the Right Person. Together we discuss what it takes to be the right person as we explore the impact self-worth, determination, and ultimately sacrifice has on having it all. It's my absolute pleasure to bring you today's guest, the iconic Samantha Wills. All right, Samantha, welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. Thank you so much for having me. So I have to be honest and tell you that this is a major pinch me moment to have you on Single at 30 because you are the quintessential modern woman to me. I've always thought that you appear to have it all, even though, as you've publicly said, it took you 12 years to become an overnight success. That's very sweet. Thank you so much. (laughs) What does having it all mean to you? And do you think women can have it all? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, and it's a loaded question in so many ways, I think, because having it all, I believe, is kind of this story we've been told from childbirth. And mm-hmm. whether that's in, you know, the Disney films that we saw or whether that's in what, you know, the the, the movies and things that we saw um, as a teenager and growing up. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the first to say that I um, have taken that on board so much over my career. And there's been times where it's like, you know, when you, you ask, like, can you have it all for a long time, I was like, absolutely. And I was, you know, working to this kind of traditional framework of what having it all meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess my answer now is, um, you know, yeah, what does having it all mean? What what having it all is to you might be very different to what it is to me. And I think we have, we have a lot to undo around um, kind of these thought processes that we've taken on board and we still hold dearly because it might not be true to us anymore. So um, yes, you can have it all and you can, um, I say you can have it all, but not at the same time. But again, that really defeats the purpose until you actually know what 
that is to you, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I always think that you can have it all, but not at the same Mm -hmm. time and that having it all changes over time. Definitely. And it's okay to want something one time and then be like, maybe I don't want that anymore. And I think there's, you know, this whole thing around, you know, I did, I wanted that so badly. So that, that um, essence of change is okay as well. Exactly. And being okay with it. Definitely. Yeah. So I love this quote by feminist writer and activist Gloria Steinem. Far too many people are looking for the right person instead of trying to be the right person. And I often wonder, why is it that we are all so focused on trying to find the right person when the longest relationship we will ever be in is the one we have with ourselves? What does trying to be the right person look like to you? Yeah, it's... um. Again, I think it goes back to because we've been told that there's a certain time frame we're meant to do things. You're meant to meet someone at this point and then have the wedding at this point and then have the babies at this point and have this many babies. <laughs> it's it's such a tight, um, you know, to framework to work to. And it's just unrealistic in this day and age, yeah. I think. And I think it's always been unrealistic, but now we're, we're actually talking about it. So, um, you know, and I think that's a great quote as well. And, and trying to be the right person, it's... I don't know, I talk a lot about like the authentic self and to to really sit with that. And that's like when, you know, when like your intuition aligns and you're like, oh, it just feels right or everything's kind of that synchronicity starts to to fall into play. To me, that's that's when, you know, for want of a better word, the right person, um, when you, you, you are showing up as the right person and that's who it is to you. So it's stripping away all these, you know, dated belief systems that we hold on to and it's getting back to what, what the core is and that's, that's the right person for you. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. that's something I really love about you. You just seem so authentic in the way you live your life and the way you present yourself. Thank you. You wrote a blog that spoke about how your upbringing as a woman resulted in a certain blueprint being ingrained in your psyche that dictated not only how you thought about yourself, but also how you behaved. What does that blueprint look like? And does it still influence your relationship with yourself today? Yeah, well, I grew up in a very religious household as a kid. Um, So, you know, there's a whole, you know, framework that comes around that. Um, I think growing up, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So it's, you know, it's a very, very different time to now. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think the the blueprint is, I feel like I'm really repeating myself (laughs) in this, so I apologize, but it is this like dated belief system Mm -hmm. of of what we're like, okay, here's what the cookie cutter journey looks like. Here's what the blueprint looks Mm -hmm. like. And if... If that's not true to me and I'm comparing that, my journey to that cookie cutter blueprint, mm-hmm. it's always going to feel uneasy and it's I'm always going to come up against this like disease of, um, sorry, discomfort of, of self, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? So um, I think as women specifically, we have a lot of work to undo. We have to, when we think a certain thing, go back and it doesn't sit well with us, go back to be like, well, why do I think that? Did I see that, you know, in a Disney film? Did someone, you know, say that to me at some point and I've held on to it in a way that I'm making it my truth when it's really not my truest self? Mm-hmm. So um, questioning the blueprint, I guess, yeah. in, in answer to that question is really important. And our programming in a sense. Absolutely. It's, it's like it's in our DNA at, at times and, you know, it's the age old saying what you continue to repeat becomes your truth. And that's a, it's so 100%. easy to create a, you know, a habit like that yep. and, and you can do it really quickly. So we do have to just, you know, bring our own awareness, our own, not, not comparison to someone else mm-hmm. and question that against the blueprint that we think we we're following. That curse of comparison, it gets me every oh, time. It's the compare and despair. It's yeah. the devil. <laughs> oh. So having followed your journey as a modern entrepreneur, I think you're the epitome of an empowered woman. On top of that, I also think you're an inspiring example of how empowered women empower women. 
And yet, you've been quoted saying, publicly and privately, I advocated so strongly for women's empowerment. Mm -hmm. It was what I was all about. And I truly believed it was what I was about in life. But the core of empowerment is self-worth. And somewhere along the line, I had lost my own. Mm. So powerful. (laughs) So why do you think it is that you lost your own sense of self-worth? And what did that look like for you? Yeah, so... um and that that quote that I made was in response to a time in my life around 2015 where um, from anyone on the outside looking in would have thought that I, I had it all. My career was kind of in this trajectory. Um, I was breaking outside of being just a jewellery designer and kind of working on other profile work. And it was all just like, you know, really moving. There was a lot going on. Um, I was in a relation, a long-term relationship for three years at that point. And, um, you know, I kind of liken it to a Jenga tower where there's so many moving parts that, you know, it's all, all great, but they're all holding the other one up. So all it takes is for one to kind of move and the whole thing comes crashing down. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was finding out that my partner at the time was cheating on me. And it just threw me into such a personal darkness. And um, there were days that, you know, Professionally, I was, you know, had these big contracts that I had to kind of show up and and be this, you know, strong um, professional person for. And then personally, I was just in a, a, a hole. Like I could barely get out of bed some days. My friend would come over. She'd like, you know, get me out of bed long enough, change my sheets. I'd just crawl straight back into them. And it was just, it was really, I mean, no breakup is, is fun, right? But no, <laughs> definitely not. Was, <laughs> exactly. Um, this one, you know, I, I for me in, in my experience of breakups was particularly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I really kind of had to dive to the depths of, of my mm-hmm. truth. And I kind of liken this to a, a swimming pool. Um, you know, when you're a little kid and you jump in the deep and you're like, I want to touch the bottom. And so you hold your breath and you go under and you might get halfway like, no, it's too deep. I can't, I can't go down. So you come mm-hmm. back up, take another breath, come back down. And you kind of do this over and over again. And I liken that to what I was doing at the time. And I, you know, I wasn't prepared to face my truth. And at that point, my truth was sitting down with my, my, partner and saying, you know, how long has this affair been going on? And he looked at me and he said, well, which one? Mm. And I said, you know, well, how, how many have there been? And he turned to me and he said, at least eight. And I share that story in, in sorry, it's, it's a long way around to answer your question, yeah, but no. I, I think it's important because when I turned to him, I put my hand on my heart and the next words that came out of my mouth when he said that to me was, what made me realize why I had to plunge into this personal darkness. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I, you know, I realized it and I turned to him and I said, please don't leave me. And, you know, publicly, as, as you said in, in that statement, I was, you know, I was wholeheartedly for women's empowerment. And I think, you know, what was coming up for me next on my journey required not only my personal and uh, my professional um, level of empowerment to be at a level, but my personal one had to reach that. And clearly with a response like, please don't leave me at that point, um, showed me where those two weren't, weren't level. And so I, I sat in that darkness for a really, really long time and, you know, tried to wade my way out of it. It's a bit like quicksand. It kind of, you know, shackles you for, for a long time. And for me, the next step on my journey was um, the Samantha Wills Foundation, which was a platform I launched specifically um, for women in business. And, you know, it's evolved now for, as, as for creative entrepreneurs. And um, I, I believe that, you know, was always on that. I think I was destined to do that. But um, my, my self-worth levels had to line up. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like that experience was 
was the um, catalyst, I think, to, to align those. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing no, that story. Uh, it's unbelievable. But I also believe that everything happens to us in life for a reason. And obviously that situation with your ex mm-hmm. led you to the foundation. And so in a sense, we have to sort of like be grateful for those moments because they turn us and shape us into the person we were supposed to be. Absolutely. And I mean, look, at the time, you can't tell anyone. You couldn't tell me that at the yeah. time. <laughs> I look back now, exactly. I'm like, oh my God, that poor girl was so broken. Um, hindsight, hindsight. Yeah, hindsight. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, I, having a, just written a book and, you know, you get this, the, the gift of hindsight to, you know, sit back and kind of pinpoint your journey. And yeah. that's the one thing I've seen, um, you know, I'm like, oh, that's why that happened to, to yeah. bump me this way and to push Connecting me that way. Connecting the dots. It is exactly. a big game of connect the dots, yeah. So why do you think our self-worth can be so dependent on other people? I think it goes back to, you know, if you go back to childhood, I sound like a therapist when I say, let's go back to our childhood. But if you go back to childhood, the, the first um, feedback we're getting is, oh, good girl, you did X, Y, and Z. You, you did what I told you to do, or you lived up to an expectation that I had, and I'm so proud of you well done. So this um, external validation around being a certain way is our earliest form of right and wrong in in a structure. So I think that it's, you know, handing that power over or that self-worth in, in whatever capacity. It could be that, you know, some people need you know, in the workplace, some people need to be told every day you're doing a great job or in, you know, a self-worth case, it might be, I need to be with a partner to feel a certain way. And it's, it's all pushing externally. Whereas, you know, it's, uh, I read something recently where it's like, maybe we should start saying to kids instead of, I'm so proud of you being like, Hey, aren't you really proud of yourself for achieving that? I love that. And and I I wish I could quote where I read that. Um, I read it very recently. Um, But kind of, you know, instead of, this external stuff, it's like, hey, how do, how do you feel about yourself? And maybe then we'd hold on to our own power a little more. I love that. So looking back, would you say it took you a long time to regain your self-worth? Um, I'd probably separate self-worth and self-confidence mm-hmm. out. I think for me, yeah, self-worth is definitely something I think I'm still I still try and um, invest in every day. Uh, again, you know, there's a lot to undo. So it's, it's continually questioning as a woman in society today why I think a certain way about something or challenging, you know, International Women's Day, the theme this year is, is um, challenge change. I think, I'm, I think I'm saying that right. But it's, it's around, you know, questioning what not just taking the status quo. And for me, for self-worth, that's a constant um, mm-hmm. ongoing journey. So in relation to, to that specific incident, absolutely. It, it, it took me a long time to to get my life back together, to kind of, you know, piece the pieces back together and be able to function in society again. But um, yeah, I think it's always always an investment into our self-worth um, as, as we get older as well and, and perspectives change and things like that. And has launching the foundation helped with that as well, developing your confidence and working on your self-worth? It definitely has. I think what the biggest thing that it has done um, for me and I hope for the, the members of that community is it's opened honest conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think for such a long time, um, you know, growing up, 
I say growing up because I started a business when I was 21, but I'm I'm referring to that time. Um, You know, I would see these beautiful glossy profiles and these styled pictures of, you know, these designers. And I'm like, wow, that's really aspirational. But, you know, they're sitting stuck up there on my mood board and I'm sitting there at four o'clock in the morning, hand making jewellery with my hands bleeding. I'm like, this just isn't really (laughs) reflective of, you know, my situation. So It's not adding up. It's not adding (laughs) up. Yeah, something's wrong here. So, um, So, you know, when I launched the foundation, I wanted to tell those real stories and I wanted to be like, mm-hmm. yes, there is an element of, of glamour to, to everything. But I'm like, hey, 99% of it is is this, you know, you know, journey that's really hard and there's, you know, some bullshit that happens along the way and your hands bleed and it's and it's it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that the power of storytelling is what I really started to see mm-hmm. in the foundation. And and to answer your question around did it help my confidence, it it made me feel less isolated. Yeah. And I know that it made others feel less isolated. And I think that that coming together and sharing of those vulnerabilities is is the rise together. So I am interested in this concept of isolation mm-hmm. because you do talk about how isolating entrepreneurship can be quite often. Yeah. Uh, and you said it would have been a game changer for you if you could have had access to a platform like the Samantha Wills Foundation at any time of the day where you could have read about how other people had experienced similar things like being in debt. Mm-hmm. That post really resonated with me as someone who has felt alone in a similar situation. Right. How did you cope with the isolation during times like when you first started Samantha Wills Jewelry and were in $80,000 debt and eating baked beans for dinner? <laughs> Sounds pretty rough when you put it all together <laughs> like that. Um, I, I I just did. I I don't I don't know how to answer that because I think at the time, and a lot of people were like, oh, you were so brave to start a, a business so young, and I'm like. N- no, I think I was really naive. And I say that in a way that it was on my side to be naive at that point. Um, because I think, you know, I look back now and I'm like, could 39-year-old me sit here and do that? And I'm like, I don't know if I could, but 21-year-old me didn't really know any better. And mm-hmm. I think there's a real beauty in that. It's it's that faith of, you know, taking the step and just assuming, not knowing, assuming that the net will appear. So mm-hmm. I think back then and I'm like, it wasn't even an option to not do it. Like it was like, I'll eat baked beans for the next 20 years. If that's what I've got to do, I will, I will stay up 24 hours straight making the same damn pair of earrings to get it out. Like it just wasn't even an option. So, um, I think I would, I would deal with it a lot differently today than Mm -hmm. 21 year old Samantha did. Did you confide in people? Did you have your tribe that you could turn to when you were stressed at night with knowing that you were in so much debt and you couldn't afford to basically eat. Yeah. I mean, my best friend, Melanie, um, her and I lived together and she um, had like a hat label that she was kind of working on as her, her side hustle kind of thing. So she she knew and like, I mean, we were as close as, are as close as sisters. So, you know, yeah. I definitely confided in her that way. Um, but there's a, there's just a level of isolation. Mm. I think that, you know, unless someone else is in $80,000 debt and sitting there till four or five in the morning making jewelry, like people can empathize, but it's, it, it has to be a, a solo journey um, on some level because it's your journey and it's um, 
uh, yeah, it's, it's your burden to bear sounds quite heavy, but it, I've, as we said before, I think there's a reason that's you know it's it's an initiation into um, what what is along the path of entrepreneurship. It's your individual story. But Absolutely, that's why I love the foundation so much mm-hmm. because everyone gets to share their stories yep. and know that even though their story is different, they're not alone in the journey, which is the most beautiful part. Absolutely, and having somewhere that like because you know an entrepreneur's not working nine to five. Their their free time might be between three. 45 and 4 a.m. in the morning. So I'm like, if there was somewhere when I was setting up where I could have logged in and been like, oh, okay, someone else is, is doing it tough. Mm-hmm. It's not just me because the world feels like it's just you in it at, mm-hmm. at that midnight hour where, you know, when the everyone else is asleep. Yeah, the yeah. rest of the lights in the street are off. You're like, is anyone even here? <laughs> so, um, yeah, having that, even if it's a digital connection, having that camaraderie to be like, okay, I'm not the only one doing this is is so important. How do you deal with the isolation now, particularly with what's going on with COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, isolation now to me is almost like a luxury. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I totally get I, that. I love, um, I'm, you know, very much, I, I'm an extrovert, I think, in my work, but an introvert, um, an extra, introverted extrovert or extroverted introvert. Um, and yeah, I I really like it. Um, I like, as a creative now, I liked, and I've always, I think, as a creative, liked to work in isolation and then kind of, you know, go and collaborate or go and present it to the world. But, um, you know, I'm definitely not doing it now with $80,000 debt and not up till, you know, usually not up till four in the morning and doing it. Um, so it's a different type of isolation now. It's more so one that I've built and I've chosen. I think um, in those early days you you hustle to hustle to you know, yeah. make do with what you've got at the time. So it's a very different one. I love that. Like you have an element of choice now, which you didn't have back then, Absolutely. which is so important. And yeah. it's it's so important and to never forget though that you once didn't have a choice. Yeah. That's, that's the importance. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So did you ever consider failure as a possibility back then? And if so, what would failure have looked like to mm. you starting Samantha Wills Jewelry compared to what it would look like now for you? I think I, I didn't consider failure back then. Even at eighty thousand dollars, when I couldn't um, get another credit, the bank were like, "We're not obviously not giving you any more yeah. credit cards." <laughs> um, I was at the end of the line, and I, it still did not occur to me that this that you have to stop. It was like, "Come hell or high water, this is this is so." And again, that's that naivety where um, you know now. It's um, and you know failure is different. Like someone might be like, "Oh, being in five thousand dollars debt back then is failure." Mm-hmm. So it, it's 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 all relative to the individual. But to me, as a whole, failure was like it it was not going to be an option to me. Now I think, um, sadly, I think I've gotten less confident on that front. Like if I was sitting there in eighty thousand dollars debt today, in you know, as 39-year-old me, I'm not saying anyone else doing a startup, but in my experience, I would be freaking out about it. And that probably comes with, you know, the more you know, the more you know, which is good in some ways. And other times you, you it's it's a, um, a hindrance. So, and it, it creates a fear around it. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, it, failure was just not even on the table for me back then. And I think it's interesting what you said, because I really do believe that in your 20s, you can take as many risks as you want. Mm -hmm. And regardless of the outcome, it's going to be okay. But in your 30s and later in life, there is a different level of weight to what you do. Yeah. And I think that um, I think what I would say to that is keeping the focus. But I think what I did was uh, not so much on a specific thing, but throughout those years and for a lot of years, 
was like, well, that's the success point. That one point there is the success point. And it's like, I focused so heavily in like a pinpoint that I didn't see kind of what was unfolding around me. And I think that created a lot of anxiety, a lot of feeling like a failure when it's like, because it didn't work out in my way, in my time, the way I thought it was going to. (laughs) Story of my life. Right? (laughs) And we black and white this Mm -hmm. like yes or no. And it's it's not like that. And I I wish that I could have, you know, um, loosened my grip a little Mm -hmm. bit and looked around and been like, okay, the path where I'm going, I'm going to get there, but, you know, it might be a windy path. It's not an A to B. And it took me a very, very, very long time to um, to realize that. So I think the, you know, come hell or high water comment around not giving up is more like there's there's many ways to get to a point. And yeah, it took me a long time to realize that. Yeah. Not being so focused on the outcome. just Not, not on a singular outcome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You've been very honest about being a self-taught designer who barely made it through mm-hmm. school. Did this ever make you doubt yourself? I mean, yes, it made me doubt myself every day. It's still, I'm like, was that my career? <laughs> Did I get awards for that? Um, and it's so weird, you know, like, I don't know why. And I write about this a lot now where I'm like, what? did a piece of paper from a university, the significance that held to me throughout my career, like to have a design degree, I can't even tell you. I'm like, but why? It doesn't, like I can say that now on the other side of a, you know, by all accounts successful design career, I didn't need it, but I put so much power into that um, elusive piece of paper. And I think, you know, we, we, often seek permission from, you know, a piece of paper or someone else. Or, and it's it's this farce. It's like a hologram. It, it really, um, it's like the uh, Galinda the Good Witch. Like you've, you've had the power all along, but you yeah. just don't, don't realise it in a way. So what would you tell women suffering from imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome, look, it's, this is a topic I'm very passionate about. And in my book, I actually personify imposter syndrome as its own character because I, um, you know, imposter syndrome comes with me everywhere. He's there when I'm writing. He, I actually wrote a, an op, was asked to write an op-ed for a, a very well-known women's magazine recently, which comes out um, in a few months. So I wrote this op-ed about imposter syndrome and the entire time imposter syndrome's there being like, what do you know about imposter syndrome? Like, you know, no one's going to read this kind of. <laughs> so it's, I personally don't think imposter syndrome ever goes away. I think um, trying to Trying to find a way to be like, how do I live without it is just too exhausting to me. Um, I, my uh, approach to it now is, all right, I see you. I recognize you're in my, in my life. Can you just give me 10 minutes to get this done or just kind of, you know, step aside? So my approach now is to live alongside imposter syndrome mm. and, and really know how to um, – you know, work with them like a problematic mm-hmm. colleague. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like they're always going to kind of going to be there, but um, manage it, manage it, and, and be realistic. Yeah, be realistic about it. Don't be like, all right, well, you know, how do we get rid of it? Because I'm like, I I'm not convinced that's even possible. Right. Mm. It takes a serious amount of courage to not only put the last five hundred dollars in your bank account towards starting your own business, but also to then walk away from that very same business at the height of its success. Has listening to your intuition ever let you down? It definitely has never let me down. Um, But again, I go back to if you think there's one outcome for a decision you're making, that's not really in your control either. I think intuition is about pushing you forward on your journey. That might not always look like what you think it's meant to look like. So you can feel that in the instant, be like, oh, that might not have been the right choice. But 
there's not one time I can ever think of where my intuition has lied to me, not once, so no. I agree completely, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's such a skill to be able to first recognise what intuition is and yeah. then have the courage to listen to it. I think, you know, and that's the goal, right? That's the goal throughout life to get closer and closer to understanding yeah. that voice. And I think that goes back to what we spoke about at the start. Like I look at, you know, and I'm, I've got my hand on my heart at the moment. So I'm like, if that's your true self, like mm-hmm. what your heart is saying, how do you align that to like your higher self being, you know, all knowing intuition? And when those yeah. two are in alignment, that's the confidence to be like, I just knew because they're talking to each other. There's no, um, you know, there's no doubt in the way that's kind of deciphering the message to be Mm -hmm. misconstrued. I think um, our body is our first physical form of communication with intuition. Mm-hmm. So I think really studying your own language of your body, like uh, an ex- and they don't call it, you know, a gut instinct. That's it. Yeah. Actually, is a feeling in in your 100%. gut. Um, you know, when you get goosebumps, is that when someone is lying? Is mm-hmm. that when you're scared? Is it both? What is the difference in that feeling? Um, there's all these ways our body is continually trying to to speak with us, and we so often doubt it or be like, oh, you know not trusting ourselves. So um, like you said, that is trusting ourselves is is the hardest. And I don't know why it's it's mm. the hardest part. You know, we throw money at clairvoyance and all these things and be like, well, you you must know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's our information and it's our sensory system. So it's um, and it, it is one that takes a lifetime, I think, to to trust. Do you do anything to sort of help you tap into that inner voice? Yeah, um, I mean, meditation is a very obvious answer to that. I think separating, there's a great book called um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And he talks about, you know, the head voice versus the Mm -hmm. the soul voice. And I think he just writes about it so perfectly. And, you know, if if you can separate the two and they do sound different, they speak differently. Um, In my experience, intuition is is the calm, quiet knowing. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the ego mind, you know, jumps in very quickly thereafter. And it's like, oh, but, you know, what about blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's aggressive and it's frantic. And um, my best experience with how to separate the two is um, every kind of decision that you're seeing, and I'm going to use the word crossroads, but it doesn't have to be a major life decision. It can be any type of decision. And you're standing there throughout any day, you've, you're faced with multiple decisions, right? And you're going to think two choices. You have the choice to make one out of fear or one out of faith. Mm -hmm. And the fear choice is staying in the familiar. So it's like, oh, but I know that this job is safe. I know this relationship is safe. I know that X, Y, Z is is safe. Even if they're, they're not fun or you're not inspired or they're toxic or they're abusive or whatever it is, the ego mind is like, but I know it mm-hmm. and I I'm, I like the familiar. It's like, let's mm-hmm. sit here on this comfy couch and never, ever move. Mm-hmm. And then the voice of faith is one that's probably, you know, you don't know what that step looks like, but it's like, hey, your destiny is kind of calling you this way. You're not meant to sit on this comfy couch your entire life. And so I liken that to intuition. It's like you always have a choice of fear and faith. Mm-hmm. Faith is the calm but probably unknowing step you're yeah. going to take. And it's that unknown that stops most people Absolutely. from taking that leap Absolutely. of faith. Myself included. Please yeah. don't think I'm sitting here being like, hey, this is what I yeah. do. <laughs> Myself no, included. everyone can relate. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So congratulations on the launch of your business memoir of Gold and Dust. I can't wait to receive and devour my copy. (laughs) Uh, In a recent post on the Samantha Wills Foundation Instagram account, Mm -hmm. you wrote, most days for the past few months, I felt like a shit friend, partner, daughter, Instagram Mm -hmm. friend. I've always thought entrepreneurs must be superhuman people who can live off no sleep. 
How do you continue to balance these relationships in your life at the same time as being a modern entrepreneur? Do you ever get any downtime, Samantha? Uh, It's a great question. And it's one I think over the years I've struggled with so much because you don't want to disappoint anyone, right? You, um, you know, you want to keep showing up and, Mm -hmm. and you can feel like such a failure and you think, oh my God, that person must hate me because I was late to dinner or I had to cancel this. And then the older I got, I'm like, people are just so truly self-absorbed. They really don't give a shit. They're, they're so worried about themselves offending other people. So you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. we're always like, everyone's going to be looking at my shoes. I'm like, no, everyone's <sighs> looking at their own shoes. Like, no one cares. Um, so I think that was a big realisation for me. Um, also, you know, complete credit to the truly incredible people I surround myself with. I, um, you know, if you surround yourself with with good people, they understand when you're yeah. busy. They understand. They they don't want you to be stressed or anxious about things. So, um, and they're probably the first to turn around and be like, "Oh my gosh, thank God you you said you had to cancel, or or you know that you've explained that to me. Here's what I've got going on too." And you're like, "Oh great, we're actually going through the same thing. Everyone's just holding it like an anxiety ball for themselves." So, um, yes, I I balance the relationships because they are incredible and they understand. It's taken me a long time to be able to get to the point to put those boundaries in place around, you know, if I'm, if I know I'm about to go into a really big state of overwhelm, which, Mm -hmm. which does happen, I experience anxiety a lot. And I'm like, if I can feel that coming on, I know I need to put these certain boundaries in place. And, um, yeah, the people in my life respect that. So, so are you doing that more often, putting these boundaries in place so that you do prioritize downtime? Definitely. And it might not even be down, like that sounds ideal, but sometimes (laughs) it's to put those boundaries in place to have a goddamn meltdown and then yes. have to hit the bottom, you know, yes. and then to be like, all right, let's keep moving forward. Yep. Like um, a, a post I did recently on my main account on Samantha Wills, I, my friends were coming over to celebrate my book to, you know, they'd got babysitters and it was going to be this great day. Oh, I saw it. Yes. Yeah. And, and I had to cancel the night before because yeah. I was in such an anxiety spiral. I had so much work on. It was, I knew if they come over, I would just be a shit host and a shit friend. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm, I'm just going to call them and and cancel it and they completely understood but my god the point to me getting to that phone call I'm like they're gonna hate me they're organized babysit like and we put all this you know additional weight onto our shoulders assuming (laughs) whereas just the reality is something very different yeah but Mm -hmm. it's also why finding the right tribe in life is so important so that you are surrounded by people who understand you and are looking out for your best interests 100 percent. and i think that you know when going back to if we're showing up authentically as ourselves Mm -hmm. you you do attract that that to me is what you know manifestation it's such an overused word which i really i I'm sad it's been over years, but to me, manifestation's not like this mood board and this like mm-hmm. list of holidays we want to go on. It's like, all right, who do I want to attract into my life? And am I being that? Because it just naturally like attracts like. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So I read that while writing your book, you quit the project about 74 times. <laughs> what motivates you to keep going? Well, that was a book deadline that motivated me to keep going. <laughs> I love the honesty. Oh, my gosh. No, I, and I'm like, I'm not a finisher of things. I'm like the big ideas person and I go like gung-ho in. Me right? too. You too. Oh, wow. I thought I was the only one. No, no, no. I'm like, this is a great idea. And I get super excited. I'm like, this is a lot of work. And there's a lot of finer details that I'm not really that into. So um, different projects, you know, different things motivate me. Um, 
the book obviously is is such a body of work that I was so proud to have the opportunity to to do. I was always going to finish it, but I yeah, I I threw things across the room. I was like, I can't do this. I'm not a writer. I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, I love your writing. Thank you. It's so natural oh. and real. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Even like I've got when they sent me my first copy of the book, even held, holding it in my hands, I'm like, oh, I still moment. didn't didn't believe it. Like it's very surreal. But um, I don't know. Now I think especially the and you know storytelling is such a love of mine in different formats but now you know hearing that you connected with something and then people dm me on instagram or that connection mm-hmm. is is really um motivating to me that it's because when you post something especially something really personal you don't know where it's going to land you know like you don't know the state of mind someone's going to be in when they get it. You don't know if anyone's going to see it with the Instagram algorithm. There's so many things. So to kind of be like, oh, here's how that helped me in this way. You're like, okay, that that mattered to, to share that and to share it vulnerably. Absolutely. So in another post, you so selflessly and candidly discuss your journey with going off the pill, Mm -hmm. subsequently finding out that you have stage four endometriosis and now freezing your eggs while saying that you still don't know if you want to or even can have kids. Mm -hmm. As a woman who also doesn't know if she wants kids yet, I really admire how you purposefully continue to normalize conversations around topics like this that matter so much to women. How do you deal with the pressures surrounding what you're meant to do or how your life's meant to look? Um, how do I do, oh, it's a great question and I think it's again it's one you grapple with daily like like even my dad still now he's like so when are you having kids I'm like dad I literally just told you I don't know if I want them <laughs> but to him it's important so I and I understand that as a as a wanted to be grandparent um, but I think you know, when we think about like the the life that's meant for us, and I say that in quotations because I'm like, oh, is it meant for us? Like, uh, that's the decision we have to make. Um, we can't take on board someone else's framework. And that can be really hard. Like it's whether that be a family framework, whether that be a religious framework, whether that be a societal, like um, it's, it's so difficult because we're so rewarded from such a young age to follow the line, to follow the rule and get rewarded for that. Oh, you're a good girl because X, Y, and Z. So now as an adult, it's, it's this, you know, um, belief system that we operate in. So I think to make sure that the you know, what your life is meant to look like. It's, is it by your standards? And that's a question that's, and that's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. I don't say that flippantly at all. That's, that's a life's work to be like, am I living my life or am I living someone else's? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that blueprint that you mentioned mm. earlier. Yeah. And I just feel like there's a different weight for women when it comes Absolutely. to having children. There's almost like that expectation. Mm-hmm. And I feel it every single day yep. amongst my friends and some family members. Yep. And it's so hard to be honest and just be like, I don't even know if I want them. But you can share your honesty. They might not hear it as their honesty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And respecting each other's mm-hmm. different paradigms and, and ways of living our lives. Definitely. So what is the biggest sacrifice that you think you've had to make so far as a woman? I think the biggest sacrifice, more so as a young entrepreneur, um, is 
you know, when my friends were all off doing the mm-hmm. European backpacking trip in our 20s, I was at my design table. When they were all, you know, kind of getting engaged and doing all these things, I was, you know, building the basis of, of what would go on to be a really big company. And so there's, there's, there's their sacrifices, and even when I say that now, their sacrifices based on a traditional model. It was like, all right, well, they got engaged, then they had babies, and then this, X, Y, and Z. So for a long time, and I, I share about this in the book, I'm like, oh, shit, like I'm 30 now. I And I remember being at my 30th birthday, and I, I was single at 30, <laughs> remember um, being there, being like, oh, my God, have I done this wrong? Like even with all of this, you know, success and things that I'd achieved and all this incredible stuff, so I didn't even look at that. I'm like, oh, my God, I've done this this wrong because I haven't checked this box, this box and this box because that's what I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. And that kind of hurts my heart a little to to think that I that I felt that way for such a long time because, you know, it's a very it sounds very airy fair, but I'm like, it's a very short life. It's a very short ten years in your thirties. It's mm-hmm. like, my God, like why would you want to spend them worrying about what other people want you to be doing? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a different conversation. And I share that fertility um post about freezing my eggs because I didn't know if I, I, I still don't know if I want to have children. And I preface that by saying, I don't know if my body can actually have children because I've never, you know, I spent so long plying it with the pill to stop it, mm-hmm. you know, being pregnant. And now, so I, firstly, I don't know if I can have children. Secondly, I don't know if I want to have children, but that's a very different conversation to sit across from someone who desperately wants children and they're going through, say, an IVF journey. So everyone's journey is different. And it's, I think it's, it's a um, respecting respecting that. It's not trying to live our lives by others or comparing ours to to someone else's. Thank you so much for sharing that because I often think, if not daily, that I've done something wrong. So I think it's so important for women to know that they're not alone in that thought process. But it's also hard to at that point because you're so used it's such such habitual thinking, and I say this because I I have done and do the same thing. I was like, well, it didn't look like what I thought it would, but I'm like, all right, well, what does what do you want it to look like now? Like, if mm-hmm. you had to ask, you know, this age person sitting in your body, what do you want it to look? Like? And I think that's also a hard question to answer at time because we're still so living in what we thought. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what is if we could, you know, clean clean the slate clear? What do you want it to look like now? It's a hard question for a lot of people to answer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Of Golden Dust is described as a must-read for anyone who has a desire to start their own business or passion to live a creative life and follow their dreams. What do you want women to take away from your business memoir? I would like women to take away um, that there is hardships in the entrepreneurial journey, obviously in life. I don't think I have to tell anyone that. I think the, the purpose behind... Um, you know, it started out as purely a business memoir. And then the more that I wrote, the more I realized there is not just the highlight reel and the hurdles, there's that human element in between. And so I really wanted to parallel kind of, you know, in my case, what the public might have seen. Um, And then, you know, the book kind of chronicles what actually was happening behind the scenes on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not just for, for entrepreneurs or people looking to go down the entrepreneurial journey, but it's this parallel of, um, you know, what we might see on Instagram in one level and here's the reality on, on the other level and, and there's so much grey area in that. And I hope people take away, in, you know, if they see any of their own self or stories in any of my stories, then, you know, they're not my stories anymore, they're our stories. And I think that's the power of storytelling. So I, I hope that people see a little bit of themselves in, in my stories and I hope one day that I can, um, you know, hear, hear, hear my readers' stories and, and I know I'll see myself in, in those as well. 
I feel like that parallel is even so important for young women growing up to have insight into so that they recognize and don't think that Instagram is always right. reality and feel that pressure from such a young age. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't even imagine being in high school now and having Instagram. It's um, it's such a, a beast in one way. You know, it's like people, you know, I've grown a business on it. It's But then on the flip side of it, there's just so much that is so not real about it. And that, you know, adds to that comparison before where we're comparing our framework my living room doesn't look like her living room mm-hmm. and it's 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 so, so dangerous. much pressure there's so much pressure and it but it's not it's not real it's, yeah. it's comparing ourselves to this mirage of instagram mm-hmm. but we've you know I, I remember being in a therapist once talking about some guy and she's like what you do is you take this coat that's built of a hologram and you put it on these men and you exp- you see a certain thing but they're not actually being that and um, I, I apply that to so much in my life now I'm like am I comparing it against what the truth of the reality is or if mm-hmm. I put a you know in this instance a hologram coat on Instagram and being like well my life doesn't look like what's under the hologram coat mm-hmm. which course it's Absolutely. So. everyone's just comparing their lives to filters yeah. these days yeah yeah so have your friends or families ever accused you of being crazy or unrealistic for following your dreams if so did that deter you at all no my friends and family didn't you know in conversations when I guess I would have probably spoken with people who had wanted to to make a decision to maybe follow an entrepreneurial path but didn't, they'd be like, oh, my God, you're crazy to keep going being in $80,000 debt, which – and I understand that statement. I, I agree in one level. Um, but, no, my family and friends – and, it, look, if they did, I was so headstrong at 21, I wouldn't have – I wouldn't have even heard it anyway. So, um, no, the answer to that is no. Amazing. <laughs> I have read you talk about the importance behind knowing your why in business, mm-hmm. claiming people don't purchase what you do, they purchase why you do it. Mm-hmm. How has your why changed over the course of your career and what advice would you give to women who are not yet sure what their why is? Yeah, it's a famous Simon Sinek quote where he's, um, you know, people don't purchase what you do, they purchase why you do it. And I think in the Samantha Wills jewellery business, that was so evident to me because, like I said, I'm, I'm not a trained jewellery designer. I loved to create and, and jewellery was the vehicle for me to do that. But, you know, I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I wasn't, you know, there was hundreds of jewellery brands I could have chose from. But I think the loyalty of our consumer and our community was a connection beyond the jewellery. The jewellery was just kind of what they wore, but they found this connection, you know, beyond that. And that was our why. We wanted to be a brand that was inclusive and a brand that, um, you know, was was like your best friend and our language was that. So um, how that's changed over time, it, I mean, and it, look, it changed the, the core of that from a brand perspective didn't change over the 15 years of, of having that business. Um, I think my personal why definitely changed and that's why I made the decision to to close that business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it should change, I think, over, over the years as things become um, – you know, more important or less important in your life. I think as a a creative person, when that flicker of inspiration in me started to dim, which is not uncommon for creative people, like I'm like, okay, this is just a creative block. I've just, you know, I'll get through it. I'll get through it, you know, six months, eight months, a year. You're like, all right, well, maybe it's it's something else, but I'm not sure. Um, And I had to go back to, well, all right, well, why, why did you start this? If that's different now, what what does that look like now? And being okay 
with doing that, I think mm-hmm. is, is so, you know, in answer to the second part of your question there, like what advice would I give to, to women who haven't found their why? Why also doesn't have to be a vocation or a career or this, mm-hmm. you know, Mother Teresa proportion impact. A why is, you know, the tiniest interactions every day. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be this huge, big thing. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves that we have to, you know, you know, be this enigma of something because that's in a way Instagram is, Again, is Instagram, <laughs> telling us that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, the, the why is the whisper I think inside oh, I and, that. and that can change and evolve. Yeah. I love that. You very bravely once wrote a post titled Why the Force Has to be Female, which spoke about an incident which left you feeling embarrassed and disgusted despite being the victim of sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. What did both those incidents teach you about yourself and what advice do you have for other women who have been in a similar situation and are also struggling with shame? Yeah, so I um, the post you're talking about, I spoke about, I was walking uh, to an exercise class in New York City um, I think it was in 2016, 2017, and um, it was on a busy street and a guy was walking towards me and he locked eye contact with me and just walked straight into me and then grabbed me between the legs. And I was just so shocked. It was a busy street He just and he, he held eye contact with me and then just kept walking. And the, the instinct inside, I was screaming, but outwardly I just froze. Mm-hmm. And this is in a very busy place. Like it was... I, I just, yeah, I just froze as the, even now thinking about my body tenses, I would just froze. And um, I w- walked to the uh, exercise class, which I would do this class eight times a week. And it was, you know, you walk in, everyone's, the music's still blaring, everything, everything's still normal, but you're, but you're not, like something's mm. changed. And I remember it was a spin class and I sat on um, the bike and there's all these mirrors that you are facing. And I'm like, everyone, everyone must know, I feel so disgusting. I feel so gross. And just, you know, when I was able to reflect on that, I'm like, why was I the one to feel gross when that motherfucker, like, literally, like, it just made me so angry. Mm-hmm. And um, and he showed no remorse. No, no remorse. Like, no remorse. And this is, you know, this is a very minor incident compared to, obviously, cases that we're reading about so much more frequently, which just... It, breaks my heart in so many pieces and you know a few weeks after that I was standing walking back from the same exercise class a few weeks later and I had my headphones in and I could I could feel this guy that stopped at a traffic standing at the traffic lights to walk across the road and he was so close to me and um like you know I wrote this so long ago but he made this disgusting comment about the exercise tights that I was wearing and he was like you know I took one I had one headphone in sorry and he was speaking the other and and I turned around and I said you know I was like what the fuck did you just say and I I just got this rage over me and I turned around and I had clenched fist and it was like a a boiling point I was like how dare you Um, and I think the succession of those um, you know had a whole new meaning to me about being angry because we're taught so often you know girls don't get angry god you know mind your words mind you oh good girl you're very polite good girl and my god I was I was furious about it and so I wrote this article to share that Um, and I I did it because Taylor Swift actually had written an article at the time around where uh, um, at a meet and greet a DJ had come up getting a photo with her and put his hand up her skirt on um, and completely denied it and they you know got this photographic proof and I was like man if Taylor Swift can and she she countersued for a dollar it wasn't it wasn't about I remember remember that 
And I was like, man, if Taylor Swift can can come out and say it and share her story, then you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to share my story. And um, you know, what did it teach me? It taught me to to get angry and be okay with getting angry. It taught me that even the comments I received on that post were some of them were so vile from people just being like, "You're attention seeking. You're <gasps> this. You're that." Like, I'm like, no wonder wow. women don't speak up about right about just. No wonder They're women don't supported. speak up. They're not supported. Um, it taught me so much. Um, and you know, it was, and then the, the Me Too movement happened. And I don't know. It's it's a it's an incredible time to be a woman to be in this time of history and have a a front row seat and you know participate in this movement. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me realise we've got so far to go. So far to go, honestly. Mm-hmm. But sharing stories like that is really helpful in terms of giving women in a similar position a voice. I think. But it's not uncommon, right? Yeah. Like, you, you, every, like the comments that I got back that you know from other women being like. They walk down the street and, you know, a, a guy cat calls them or something and you, you they get ang- they, they're taught not to get angry about it. But they're like, I hate it. It makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel this way. But we put, we've put up with it. So it's, I think it's normalising mm-hmm. the women can be angry and normalising you don't talk to other people that way. It's, you don't, you don't have that right. Thank you for sharing that. The purpose of this podcast is to write the manual for the modern woman together. Mm-hmm. What are the top three pieces of advice you wish you knew starting out? Oh, goodness. Three pieces. So much. Um, I th- I wish I had more confidence to f- forge my own path. And I realise that sounds quite weird given that I look like I did forge my own path, which in a way I did. But I I think I spent so much time along that worrying, am I doing it right? Am I ticking all the boxes along the way? What do other people think of me? So having that, uh, I I don't know how that could have been different given the time of society we're in, but I I would say to my younger self, just yeah, do what's important to you um, because no one else really, really gives a shit, to be honest. It's like everyone's worried about themselves, so stop worrying about everyone else. Um, And I think at that age, I don't know, I'm I'm pretty proud of myself, to be honest, to to continue on doing, you know, how I did it. Um, I would say, you know, it took me two years grappling with that inner turmoil and uh, in hindsight it probably, you know, needed to take that long, but I think – I would have said to myself that it's okay to change your mind. You can want something at one point and then, Absolutely. you know, change your mind about it. Um, and I think along the way to just, you know, there's nothing in a jewellery brand that is about to save the world. So you don't have to <laughs> take on the anxiety like you are saving the world. <laughs> you know, we take things so deadly seriously sometimes and, it, you know, it's our own pressure. And I, I still do, do this. I take on st- – I'm such a terrible dealer of stress of, on myself. Um, but just like yeah, the world's not going to end because you didn't make the deadline. So just, yeah, we don't need we don't need to invite extra anxiety in, you know. <laughs> Seems so simple yet so difficult. Like, oh, I know. Don't worry. Practice. Yeah. <laughs> Daily. <laughs> Uh, I love how you consistently advocate the need for vulnerable storytelling that shares truths, not just the highlight reel, and we are all so invested in your story. So what's next for Samantha Wills? Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Um, well, the the book is, is my baby now, and I know that she will... Um, find the path that she's meant to take and I'm, I'm kind of following her lead. I would love to see that, you know, maybe one day adapted for screen or adapted, um, you know, outside of, of paper and ink would be lovely. Um, and then the next step, you know, oh, sorry, the, the parallel alongside that is um, definitely 
you know, 100% of my focus then goes into the Samantha Wills Foundation. I'm just finishing off a huge masterclass that is kind of a handing over of, I guess, the last two decades of, of work and personal that's... Um, and how they coexist and kind of handing that over for other creative entrepreneurs. So that will be launching very soon. And kind of just still, you know, as you said, vulnerable storytelling, but in in different formats. That might be more writing. It might be more conversations like this. But, you know, handing over that information and, and having those stories because I think they're really important. Amazing. Well, thank you for your time, Samantha. It's been a privilege having you on this Single at 30 episode, How to Be the Right Person. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 episode, How to Be the Right Person with the extraordinary Samantha Wills. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. I've also included a link to order your very own copy of Samantha Wills' business memoir of gold and dust in the show notes. If you have a question that you want answered, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.